gathered here as your church family, and I thank you for the dedication and the commitment that I see in this church family to serve you and to serve others. Uh, that is really what I am witnessing here, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, Lord Jesus, we ask you for your power and your strength and your compassion to actually reach out to those in our relational networks, our workplaces, our, our households, our streets, wherever we encounter people who are not yet connected with you. Would you empower our church family to pursue your mission and just invite somebody uh, for March 3rd and also Easter Sunday upcoming. Uh, Jesus, as we get into our message for today, we understand that you are the light of the world. You're the one who shines light on what is true and what is not. You define reality and you show us what reality is. And the reality is, is that you are king of the universe and that there is no better thing than for us to live for you and, and to trust in you. Uh, Lord, help us to see today the breathtaking uh, purpose of Mercy Hill Church and any and every local church family. Would you use our church to show off your character to our lost world who needs uh, your character and needs you more than anything else? Help me to speak your words today, not my own. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I now invite Lucy to come forward, and she is going to be sharing with us today's scripture reading. Should I raise this up a little higher for you? <laughs> How's that? Reading Ephesians 3, 7 to 11. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you very much, Lucy. Isn't that rich stuff? I just love that passage, and that's what we're unpacking today. Uh, we are starting just a brief two-part sermon series uh, today and next Sunday. It is entitled, Why Mercy Hill Church Exists. Uh, today is part one. Any guesses as to what next week's uh, sermon title is? It's part two. It's part two. That's, that's as exquisite as it gets and as creative as it gets. And actually, Jaron is preaching next Sunday, and he's more speaking to what's the purpose of the church at large, okay? And so that's going to be good. And then, as you know, March 3rd, we're starting this new series called Jesus I Am. But anyhow, to look at this question, you know, why does Mercy Hill Church exist? Or why does any and every local church that you might see, either at a school or at their own physical building, you know, like Hope Community Church down the street, why does any and every local church exist? Uh, well, a lot of people outside of the church would probably say, I have no idea. I don't know why the church exists. Because, you see, they say church seems like a big waste of time, energy, money, and real estate. All those church people do, they get together on Sunday morning and they do a bunch of weird stuff that I don't understand. They kind of hide in this little bubble. Then they sing these really cheesy, I don't think this is the case for us, by the way, cheesy Christian songs. And then the preacher makes them feel super extra guilty. And then they, they talk to each other in this weird Christian ease and they use these weird Christian uh, words like hallelujah and bless the Lord and bless you and bless everything and bless that thing as well and church 
for people outside of the church just seems like a really weird, strange kind of thing, kind of pointless thing to a lot of people. In fact, a lot of Christians feel that way. You know, in the lower mainland, I have never encountered more Christians who have quit church. They have just given up on church for a lot of those same reasons. But here's the thing. It is shocking. When you step back and you see all the good that the local church has done in the world and that the local church is doing in the world even today. And I want to give you uh, some examples here. There's an article written by the Four C's, the Canadian Council of Christian Charities, entitled, Why Even Atheists Should Appreciate the Local Church. Why Even Atheists Should Appreciate Local Churches. And here's what they discovered in this article. There was a study done, and the study clearly shows that faith-based groups generate substantial and measurable value for a local neighborhood. The value of religious congregations to the wider community is somewhere in the order of four to five times of a congregation's annual operating budget. Local congregations are economic engines that not only support local economies, but also contribute to the good of all. It's amazing. And the study calls this the halo effect. Have you heard of the halo effect before? This is sort of the the halo, the good ripple effect that a local church has in a local neighborhood. And here, here are some specifics as far as benefits that a local church provides to her neighborhood, according to this study. Local churches often provide education, like nurseries and daycares and schools for kids. Further, local churches provide uh, a magnet effect for drawing people into the area for community celebrations and community events. That's a good thing. In addition, local churches help prevent suicides. They help people find jobs. They help people escape addiction. Uh, They often promote mental health and physical health and certainly spiritual health. Uh, What local churches do is they engage the youth. You should see uh, what we've seen over the last couple of years with this Friday night youth group thing that we got going on here that my wife and Candace uh, sort of lead and, and, and manage is we got kids all around the school on Friday nights got nothing better to do. So they come to youth group because why? No one's offering youth programs for them. But our church is, thanks be to God for that, as I now completely rabbit trailed into that discussion. And and so youth programs and ministries are provided free of charge like ours is because no one else is doing stuff for the youth. Local churches, in addition, offer help for real help for immigrants, and they give people places to volunteer and to serve. And so, very quickly, to summarize that, a local church like ours gives this area of our city in Clayton Heights a helpful, life-giving, economic-inducing sort of halo effect. Even atheists should appreciate the local church. Well, maybe this is why Mercy Hill Church exists. Is this why Mercy Hill Church exists? Hold that thought. Now let me share yet another example of the kind of life-giving impact that local churches have on the world. I've shared this before, by the way, and this example is taken from uh, Africa. And you may know that starting about 200 years ago, that's when European missionaries, Christian missionaries, were going to Africa, and North American missionaries were targeting Africa, because largely the gospel about Jesus or knowledge about Jesus was completely not there at all. So they're targeting Africa, and it started about 200 years ago, and they go there, and they're preaching the gospel, they're starting new churches, and they provide humanitarian aid in the name of Jesus. Now, despite the colonial outcry, because 
Very often, Christian missionaries have been labeled as just these colonialists trying to take over another nation, and there have been some colonial ways about them that have been very negative, but despite that, um, the results are now showing uh, about what's happened over the last 200 years of sending missionaries, Christian missionaries, to Africa. According to a great article, Christianity Today uh, wrote this mind-blowing article, and the outstanding result of local churches being started in Africa over the last 200 years is this. They found the work of missionaries in starting local churches turns out to be the single largest factor in ensuring the health of nations in that continent. Then if that's not enough to convince you of the gospel impact, the good impact of local churches started in Africa, the, Af uh, the article goes on and says this. Areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past in, the past in starting local churches are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust uh, membership in non-governmental associations. So are you getting a sense of the good impact, the powerful impact that a local church can have on a particular community, on a culture, on a nation, on a continent? Maybe now you're asking, well, maybe this is why Mercy Hill Church exists, to do all of this kind of good in our own city. You know, we're all about, maybe we should be all about reducing crime, reducing drug addiction and alcohol addiction and creating better outcomes for kids. By the way, local church involvement has a great, tremendous uh, positive outcome for kids and so on and so forth. Is this why we exist? What's the answer? The answer is No. Not primarily. That's not the main thing. Because as we will see, and I want to show you, the overarching purpose of Mercy Hill Church is bigger than that. And from this overarching purpose is where these good results kind of stem from and find their roots in. Because if you don't start with that overarching purpose, you don't get this, these good outcomes that we see through the church. And this is what we're going to see in the Bible. And when you see this overarching purpose... I am praying that you get some sort of inspiration from it as you see the big picture about why we exist and any and every local church exists, and I pray that you might be captivated in some measure by these truths. So, there's an outline in your bulletin. You can follow along if you want to. You can fill in the blanks and find such glee. You might start giggling as you're filling in those blanks there. That's how fun it is. And the first point on that outline is this, on that, uh, in your bulletins there, is simply this. The core purpose of a local church is to bring the light of the gospel plan of God to everyone. To bring to light the gospel plan of God to everyone. And we get this idea from, this, uh, from Apostle Paul. Uh, Lucy read this, but we'll read it again. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 and 9, it says, Of this gospel, that's the message about Jesus, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and then to, here it is, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here's what Paul was saying. He's saying, my job is to take away the mystery. My job 
is to clear the fog, to take this mystery about God away, this mystery about what God is like, this mystery about how to connect with God and make peace with God and have a relationship with God. I'm all about taking the way of the mystery about what that is and how to get there and what he's like. You see, incredibly, God's gospel plan, it was hidden for centuries, for ages of time, literally, before he finally, at just the right time, he chooses to send his only son, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sent Jesus 2,000 years ago. Why? On a rescue mission. And the gospel that, that Paul, and the gospel, this good news message about Jesus, that we, Jesus' church family at Mercy Hill, we are to take this message to the world in order to take away the mystery, to take away the confusion about how to make peace with God. And the gospel message that we are to take can be summarized as follows. Are you still with me somewhat? Some of you? Fantastic. Here's the gospel. Here's the, the message, and it doesn't have to be exactly this, but you've got to cover off some of the ma major points of this. Okay, so here we go. God made everything. God is holy, without sin, transcendent, different from us. He made us in his own image, and so he is holy, we are not, it took, we don't know how long, maybe five minutes, maybe six months, before we sinned against God our, because of our first parents. We sinned against our holy God, and because nothing sinful can be in God's presence, we were separated from God, we were kicked out of the garden, we were cursed with physical death and spiritual death in hell forever. But God was not happy with that separation. He was not at all, and according to his great and his rich in his immeasurable love, God the Father sent his one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to earth literally 2,000 years ago in the flesh. And he sent him on a rescue mission to live your perfect life for you in your place, the holy life that you couldn't live, that I can't live. And he did that for you and for me. Later, Jesus was crucified on that cross as the perfect sacrifice for your sins, in your place, choosing to be forsaken by the Father. He was wearing your sins, he was wearing my sins on the cross, and he was judged for you. Punished for you, even though he himself never once sinned. He died on that cross, and thanks be to God, three days later, Jesus rose up from the dead to defeat forever Satan, sin, and death on your behalf. Thanks be to God. Now, you might think that's the gospel. That is not the full gospel. You know why? Jesus demands that if we want in on these gospel benefits, if we want in on heaven, if we want in on forgiveness of our sins, and we want to receive God's Holy Spirit to live within us, to change us, he demands, he demands, he demands that you respond to him. And he, he says you need to respond to, to Jesus with repentance, with faith in him and believing what he did for you on the cross. And baptism. And so response is key to the gospel. Here's my point. Like Paul did, our job as a church family is to link arms together with this key gospel message. That's one of our key purposes. Let's take the mystery away about how someone is to make peace with God and receive heaven in their future instead of hell. This is the message that we are to take. It is our mission. This is why Jesus is not taking you home to heaven with him yet. We have work to do, and we can do this together by linking arms to take away the mystery of how to connect with God and receive forgiveness from him. 
You might ask, why in the world would I actually share the gospel with somebody? Why would I actually do that? That's really putting me on the spot. It could put my jo job in some jeopardy. People are going to think I'm weird and strange. Why would I want to share the gospel? Here's why. Because your heart breaks with compassion for lost people. You know it's not going to go well for them. And you care about people. And if they don't make peace with God through Jesus, if they don't receive forgiveness for all their sins, if they don't receive this incredible future instead of a, a horrible future, if they don't receive God, the Holy Spirit, living within them to, to empower them to live a life for Jesus, it's not going to go well for them. You want, you want them to have what you have, and your heart breaks with compassion until that happens. And that's why you stick your neck out. You know, what I constantly have to battle within myself is this wrong perception, this fear that, you know what, if I bring to light the gospel plan, if I take away the fog to the not-yet-Christian people in my life, they will obviously say, they're going to say no to Jesus. They, what are you talking about this Jesus guy for? They're going to mock me. They're going to look down on me. They will think I'm just another religious freak, fanatic, crazy person. Now, the truth is, some will indeed think that. They will think I'm nuts. They will think you're nuts for sharing about Christ. But yet, time and again, I've seen that by the grace of God alone, when I trust the Holy Spirit and he gives me the courage and he gives me the compassion to actually share the gospel with someone who is not yet a Christian and share that gospel about Jesus boldly and gently and compassionately and carefully, people are amazingly open, surprisingly open to hearing about the gospel plan that God has for them. God has a plan for them. He made them. He cares about their future. And he wants to use you to help clear the fog for them. And so, like Jesus, he used Paul. Paul literally, as the apostle, turned the world upside down at that time. He started churches like crazy. Uh, let me just say this prayer to Jesus in this moment. Lord Jesus, here we are. Mercy Hill Church, we are here, and we want to bring to light, to take away the mystery about how to make peace with God. Would you, would you use our church family to share the gospel in our particular networks of relationships that more and more and more people will be saved and transformed by you? This is a key purpose for our church and every local church. And let me give you yet another even bigger overarching purpose for Mercy Hill Church and every church in your notes is number two. It's simply this. Our purpose is to display the wisdom and glory of God to the world. That's our purpose. To put God's character on display. Put God on display. You need to know that this is the main purpose and point that we teach in our church membership class. I had the privilege to recently sh uh, teach this class again and I love teaching that class. Because we're, we're getting down to, oh yeah, this is what we're all about as a church family. And I thought this would be good for us to revisit again. And this comes from the back half of that passage that Lucy read, uh, verses 3 and 11 in, in Ephesians 3. And it says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is pretty amazing stuff. Because not only is Mercy Hill Church 
to bring to light God's gospel plan to our lost world. But we are also by design to show God and show his plan off to the spiritual realm, to the angels, to the demons, to whatever other creatures God has made in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm. That's part of what we're supposed to do as well. That's amazing. To our world and also to the spiritual realm. And the analogy that I often use, and I think this is a, this analogy works for me, so that's what I'm going to roll with, and we use this in this membership class, is that of a jewelry store in a mall like Willowbrook Mall. They have a handful of jewelry stores there. I went there, I think, a week or two ago, and there was a Canadian Arctic something or other. Have you, anyone seen that new, ju- ju- or new name? And it's amazing how often these stores have been robbed. It's amazing. So anytime you're in one of those uh, jewelry stores at Willowbrook Mall, you know, keep your head in a swivel because you don't want to get shot, okay? Just recommend not getting shot. Um, now, why would they rob these stores? Why? Well, it's because those stores possess something valuable within them, something beautiful. Diamond rings made of gold, maybe of platinum. Gold watches, earrings, necklaces, and so on. And a lot of people, they want valuable jewelry to wear. And if you noticed, how does a jewelry store bring people in, draw people in to their store to buy their their jewelry and make them a profit? Well, the smart jewelry stores, they strategically place their goods, their beautiful pieces, on the outside of their stores in glass cases, kind of like this on the screen, I think. That's what they do. So that when you walk by this store in the mall, you see out of the corner of your eye, like you're on your way to the food court to get a burrito, but then something kind of glistens over here, okay? And it gets your attention, and it's those glistening diamonds and rings and, and watches and, 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 and all that stuff. You had no plans to buy those earrings, okay? But you, something catches your eye. Next thing you know, you find yourself doing a U-turn and going into the store. You're like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, next thing you know, you are plopping down serious cash to take home this precious metal, this jewelry home with you because your heart has been captivated by the beauty of this object. You want to add the beauty of this jewelry to your own person so that you beautify yourself. And so it is with our local church family. It's kind of like that, we're kind of like a jewelry store. We have received though, the most precious person and the most precious promises and the most precious benefits in the universe. When we simply trusted in Jesus, we received all of this. We didn't deserve any of this. And yet he's given it to us. And yet, amazingly, God's character and his wisdom and his goodness, it it shines through us to our lost world even to the heavenly places. And they're just like, that's amazing. That guy before and that guy after, that's amazing. That's the power of God. And and, and our lost world sees the sheer attractiveness of Jesus in us. And they are drawn to Jesus. And they want to add the beauty of Jesus to their life as well. They're drawn to Jesus through our church family. And they're saying stuff like, Look, they come, they hang out with us, they hear about what we're about, and they say stuff like, I don't know what's going on here, but I want what you guys have. 
I want the contagious joy that you have. I want the confident hope of heaven that you have. I want the self-control over addiction that you have. I want to have a healthy marriage like you have. I want to add some healthy parenting that you have into my parenting as well. I want your good attitude at work and your selfless attitude at work and your hard work ethic at work in my life as well. So the question is now, how do we do this? So when people, they see this kind of thing, how does it actually happen? How do they actually get to the point where they see the character of God shining out in and through us? Where they see the wisdom of God's gospel plan for our lost world? Well, in your notes, we're going to break down three subpoints under number two. And the first subpoint is number A, and this is sort of getting down to the how and the nitty-gritty as far as how we display the character of God as a church family. And the first way in your notes is simply this. By reflecting Christ's love to us in how we love one another. By reflecting, imagine a mirror at 45 degrees. His love is coming down to us. We don't deserve that love, but it's coming down. And we receive it. And in that, it's at 45 degrees, and we're spreading it to those in and around us, in our church family and beyond. That's, that's why we're here. That's how we display the character of God. And this point is seen in one of my favorite Bible passages, passages John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35. And Jesus is saying these words to our church family in this moment. You ready? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if, if, if you have love for one another. In other words, our job here is to love one another just like Jesus loves us. As Jesus has loved me, so let's talk about me for a second. As Jesus has loved me, he has laid down his life on the cross for me to save me. Well, you see, with that kind of self-sacrificial love, my job here, when I come here, and my job now, in this moment, is to love each of you with that kind of self-sacrificial love. Reflect the love. And so is your job, if you're a Christian, here, a part of this church family, your job is to love me uh, like Jesus loves you with self-sacrificial love. That's your job, that's my job. Now, why would we do this? As Jesus says, and he tells us this in that back half of that uh, passage there, why would we do this? Why would we love each other with self-sacrificial love of Jesus? As Jesus says, and I paraphrase, by this kind of love, all people will know. The bigger purpose is all people will know in Surrey, all people will know in Langley, all people in our workplaces will know that we are disciples, we are followers of King Jesus. Meaning, Here's what this means. You still with me? Here's what this means. The evidence that Jesus is among us is if, it's if, it's if we love one another like Jesus loves us. That's the proof that he's here. That's the proof that he's active among us. That's the proof that we're changed by Jesus. You see, the love of Jesus is a beautiful, contagious thing. This is a contagion that you want. You know, we're living in, in flu season now. But this is, this, is, this is much better than flu. We're talking about the love of Jesus that transforms people, gets their attention, and says, I want what you want. There's love here. 
For example, you know, over the years at Mercy Hill Church, one of the predominant main critiques of our church, I just share this to, to just encourage everybody in this moment. Uh, anytime I hear critique, I mean, I feel it big time. Uh, but that's good. I need, we need to hear the truth, right? And one of the main critiques of our church over the years has been that we are kind of icy cold to one another, icy cold to even newcomers. And this is something we've worked on and probably still need to continue to work on. But that said, I have heard from many newcomers over the years that when they come here to worship with us and hang around with us, they have said things like, you know, your church was, was really kind to me. Your church seems to really care for each other and seems to like each other. Your church really made me feel welcome when I came as a first-timer. And so you see what's happening there. These newcomers, they have experienced something here that they have not experienced outside of the church. They have not experienced that kind of love in the world. And by the way, the world generally is a very dark and cold place. Metro Vancouver, in particular, has been called the loneliest city in the world. There have been multiple articles, multiple studies done to prove this. And, of course, that's why we struggle with being icy and cold. It's a reflection of our culture, right? But when there's love here and there ain't love out there, people feel it. It gets their attention. They can see the love of Christ among us. And, and praise God for that. They've come here. They have seen Jesus among us. They have felt his warm love here and they have seen how we love one another, and let us show more, let us show more, let us show more of that kind of self-sacrificial love to one another because it gets people's attention in such a cold and icy city like Metro Vancouver. And so we show off the glory of God at Mercy Hill Church by reflecting Christ's love to us and how we love one another. A second way we show off the wisdom and glory of God and his character to our world is uh, little b in your notes is simply by our transformative conversion. Our transformative conversion. In other words, how you change when you meet Jesus, it shows off the wisdom and the power and the glory and the goodness and the grace of God uh, to others in your life and to your city. It gets people's attention like, what happened to that guy? What happened to that lady? She's different now. It's strange. I don't get it, but it's amazing. And we get this idea from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 15. It says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's a great verse. I love it when I see this happening. When the grace of God, the grace of God, by the way, is God's unmerited, undeserved favor, and it comes on to you, and that grace, it gets a hold of a person, and then they're, they're converted to Jesus. You see, they have been transferred. They have been taken away from the kingdom of darkness and pulled into, instantly, at the moment of conversion, into the kingdom of light where Jesus reigns and rules. And in that moment of conversion... They are saved, and they are born again by the grace of God. It's a beautiful thing. And when you see this in the life of your church family, like ours, it is amazing. We've seen something like 80, 80 or so people baptized since we began a number of years ago. And baptism Sundays are one of the most celebratory Sundays that we see here. And this is why. It's beautiful. You literally see before you an image of death to life. 
in the water, out of the water. It's fantastic. And more and more and more people who once were lost are now found by Jesus and are, are, are going in a much different direction now. And they're worshiping God now. That's weird. They're thanking God now. That's weird. They're reading the Bibles now. That's weird. They're living for Jesus now. That's weird. It's actually not weird. It's not what they were meant for. But it's breathtaking. A quick story. Uh, believe it or not, I used to be a younger person. And at a younger age, I was younger. And specifically, I was 17 years old. I was not, I am not proud of this at all. I was 17. I was generally an angry, ticked off kid, wearing black all the time, listening to very heavy metal type music. And uh, very, dis I, was, I was an expert in being disrespectful to my parents. I especially enjoyed being disrespectful to my teachers, uh, which they did not appreciate. Uh, I was doing terrible in school. I quit youth group because I thought our youth pastor was a, kind of a, a nerd. And I hated going to church, but my, uh, thankfully my parents forced me to go to church. Okay? I'm glad that they did that because, well, I, I stuck around. Anyhow, next thing you know, in my high school days, grade 11, all of a sudden, my former friends, or my friends who were formerly sort of the party-going type friends, sort of experts in defying God and experts in breaking commandments, not church people at all, all of a sudden, many of my non-Christian friends were becoming Christians en masse. There was a youth group at the Pentecostal church down the street, and uh, they were sort of exploding in numbers, and about 200 youth were going to this youth group and this, this worship service. It was incredible. And a lot of my former pagan non-Christian friends were becoming Christians. And at the time, I'm thinking, maybe I should look at this a little more closely. Like, there's serious change going on. You know, they were partygoers, and now they're not, and they're carrying their Bibles around in school. Like, that's weird. That's just strange. What's going on? I better take this stuff more seriously in case uh, this stuff is true. And so I, that led me to, uh, over a period of time, uh, checking things out, uh, basically looking into Christianity and seeing if, if Jesus was legitimate or not, and if it was true or not. And long story short, after a period of months of seeking all this stuff and reading tons of books, I became a Christian, and I became born again. And by the grace of God, it was a very, very much more of an instantaneous transformation and change. I started respecting my teachers, uh, my parents, right away. That got their attention. I started respecting my teachers at school. That got their attention. My whole outlook uh, changed overnight from being a very dark outlook to, to being a very hopeful, uh, heaven-focused outlook. I had a purpose in my life. And I'll never forget that grade 11 uh, English teacher. I especially enjoyed making her life miserable. I don't know what it was. There was just something about her. And... Uh, but I remember, she asked me one day after I'd come to Christ, Kurt, what has happened to you? In front of the whole class, Kurt, what has happened to you? You're so different now. You're not lipping me off like you once did. Thank you for that, by the way. You're treating me very well now. And you're actually applying yourself. What happened? And I stood up in front of the whole class, and I said, it's Jesus. I'm living for him now. He saved me, and he changed me. And I was filled with boldness and courage at that time. I was, it just overflowed. I just didn't care. I didn't care. And everyone's jaws, when they heard me say that, because they, they knew what I was like before, their jaws dropped to the ground. 
You're like, what is going on here? But do you see what happened in that, in that moment, in that time? The sheer grace of God and his mercy and such a piece of work as I was and still am, God got a hold of me. And God came. And his grace was displayed through me. His wisdom was displayed through me. His mercy was displayed through me. His forgiveness of sin was displayed through me. His character was displayed through me. And you see, by my transformative conversion at that time, it got people's attention. And, they, and the same thing happens when people see and hear about our church's conversion stories and they hear all of this going on here, Mercy Hill Church in that moment. And when that happens, we show off the greatness and the goodness and the glory and the mercy of God. There's one last way that we display the glory of God through our church family, and it's little C in your notes as I try to bring this sermon in for a landing here. Uh, C in your notes is simply this, and this is another way we display God and show him off, is by how we live our everyday lives, okay? So it's, it's not just the conversion side, it's the rest of our Christian life, and that's where we display the character of God in our lives. That process, by the way, is a long word that we never use, but it is called sanctification, and it's the process by which you become more and more like Christ, but it takes time. It's a gradual process. Sometimes it's three steps forward, one or two or three back, but you, you keep moving forward towards changing uh, into the image of Jesus. And we get this idea, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 31, this idea of glorifying God through our lives is this. So whether you eat or drink, so even by you what you eat or drink, you glorify God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Displaying his greatness through your lifestyle. So when you go to your workplace tomorrow morning, a lot of you in this room have a workplace to go to tomorrow morning, if not today. And when you go there, this is what you do as a Christian. You pray. You pray before you start work that day, and you say, Jesus, help me today. Help me Monday morning, especially on Monday. Help me display you in this place. When you parent your kids, you're praying, Lord Jesus, help me display your love and your patience and your grace to my kids so that they, get, they see you through me. When you drive during rush hour in these icy conditions especially, you pray, Lord Jesus, help me display your self-control and your gentleness and your patience on the road here. And on and on it goes, you see. In the back of our minds, as the Mercy Hill Church family, we're linking arms as we do this, and we do this in our workplaces, in our respective homes, on our respective streets, in our respective neighborhoods. In the back of our minds, we're collectively praying, Lord Jesus, whatever I do today, whatever we do today, help me, help us all to do all. To display, show off your glory and your love and your wisdom and your holiness and your goodness and your patience and your self-control and so on and so forth. And so let me close with these words. Let me leave you with this challenge. What can you pray? What can you do? What can we do as Mercy Hill Church to more fully show off the most beautiful, the most attractive, the most helpful person in the universe to our lost world who needs Jesus more than anything else in their lives? Are we going to pray towards this end? Are we going to take action towards this end? We must. That's why we're here. It's why we're here. It's why we're not in heaven yet. We have a mission to run after. Let us now pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the privilege to partner with you in your mission. I love this stuff, Lord, and I pray that we would be re-energized for you and for your mission and showing you off to a, our world that is just very confused in every way. Use us to clear the fog, to clear away the, the confusion, to clear away the mystery of just the basic, straightforward gospel and, and show them all that you've done out of love for anyone who would turn to you with repentance and faith and baptism. Lord, I pray that if someone is here today who is wanting to take that next step of faith towards you and begin that life as a, as a Christian, I pray that they would have that conversation either with a, a Christian that they know here or with myself after the service. Lord, as we now transition to responding to you, we come to that time of the Lord's Supper, and it reminds us of all that you've done for us, Lord Jesus. You, the, the, the broken crackers represent your broken body for us. The, the juice represents your shed blood on the cross for us to make us clean uh, in the sight of God and our sins washed away. And may we sort of examine ourselves and, and reconnect with you and, and get our relationship with you back on track if it's not on track. We're so grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy, and forgiveness through Christ. Through Christ we pray. Amen.